You may be seated. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6 if you got them with you. Hopefully you do. Uh, Any of our children who'd like to go to our children's time, uh, children's worship, you can leave right out the back door with Miss Bethany. And you will have a great time learning at your age level about the God who saves. And I'm really, really thankful for everybody that helps out with our children's ministry. I'm, I'm just excited that we are, are able to provide that. We're going to be camped out in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20 this morning as we continue to move through uh, the book of Hebrews in a series that we've entitled Jesus is Better because that is the main theme in Hebrews is that Jesus is in fact better than everything and anything and anyone. So, uh, you know, we live in a modern age, um, an age where someone's word doesn't mean that much. Someone's word, if they give you their word, um, you know, it's an age of loopholes, an age of broken promises. Between unfulfilled wedding vows and unfulfilled political promises, we've become skeptics. And our age is one in which uh, human words really are considered worth next to nothing. Now, if you'll recall back in chapter 5, and if you've missed the last few messages through the book of Hebrews, and I know I was gone in there in the middle, so you have to go back, but go back and you'll want to go back and listen uh, on the website, or you can go to our podcast feed, or if you want to do the Facebook feed, you can. Um, But go back and listen to the last few messages, because back in chapter 5, the author of Hebrews was writing about Jesus as our faithful high priest, and he talked about him being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you'll recall... In verse 11 of that chapter, he let them know that there was more that he wanted to say about this, but his audience was too immature to take on solid food. So he begins this digression of thought, which we come really to the end of in today's passage, but he begins this digression of thought that goes into how they were still needing milk like an infant. They'd become dull to the word, and they'd become childish in their understanding. And he progressed from warning about this problem of immaturity to here at the or to back at the beginning of chapter six, urging them to press on towards spiritual maturity. And just after that, in verses four through eight of chapter six, he warns them about the dangers of apostasy and falling away. And he moves through this warning of very real danger for those who have never known Jesus but think they know him. He moves from that into verses 9 through 12 where he says that for them, for his readers, for his audience, he has hope for better things. He has great hope for them, hope for the things accompanying salvation. And today we come to the final section of this kind of long digression of thought And we find out why he has this hope for them and why we should also relish this sure and steadfast hope that we have in Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God. This passage this morning, hopefully for you, it's a giant dose of encouragement. That's what I want this morning to be, is a giant dose of encouragement. Yes, a a challenge as well, but This was to be a big encouragement, beginning with those Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution and they were facing the temptation to fall back into their former religious ways. But then it's also an encouragement for us as we persevere following Jesus. 
So if you would, follow along as I read, if you've got it in, in, in your Bibles or on the screen uh, behind me. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to help us understand and apply it. Jesus, as we come uh, to this passage, it's deeply encouraging. I pray that it would encourage our hearts, that we would see it for what it is, that you would help us to understand what you're saying in your word, and that you would help us to apply it to our personal lives, to our spiritual walks with you. There'd be a great balm for our soul. That would lift us up when we are tempted to just phone it in. When we're tempted to wonder if any of this is even real. That we would remember our sure and steadfast hope. That we would remember the encouragement found here of serving a God who keeps his promises always. God, I pray as I communicate this, I pray I would be clear that I would decrease, that you would increase. It's about you, Jesus. It's for you. Don't let me make it about me ever. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, as we read through this passage, there's one thing that becomes immediately clear, and if you're familiar with any of the rest of Scripture, you may have noticed this thing as well, and this is point number one. If you're taking notes, it's just this. God makes promises. God makes promises. Almighty God is a God who has made promises to his people. We can look through the pages of Scripture and see promises that he has made. Now, I want to take a moment and say that not everything you read is a promise. There are some things in Scripture, in especially the book of Proverbs, for an example, that are not necessarily promises, but instead are principles. And when we read through Scripture, we need to understand what's a principle and what's a promise, okay? That's just a free point. You don't have to pay extra for that this morning, all right? Sorry, that's a terrible joke. But there are principles and there are promises. But our God does make promises. We're so used to not believing promises that are made to us that we may be tempted to not believe God's promises. 
You know, I don't know how you grew up. You may have grown up with a father who didn't keep his promises to you. You may have grown up with a mother who didn't keep their promises to her, her promises to you. You may have uh, had friends who betrayed you, didn't keep their promises. And so we are used to not believing promises because of our past history with people making promises to us. And so we're tempted not to believe God's promises. We're so skeptical that when those on television make sure and assertive statements, that we often, we, that we hear people on TV make sure and assertive statements and then completely the opposite thing happens. And we're tempted to carry that over into our spiritual life, our skepticism of that. First thing we need to understand is that there is a difference between a man-made promise and a promise that is made by God. Promises made by men have many different reasons for not coming true, but promises that are made by God have really thousands and millions of reasons that guarantee them coming true. See, man, when we make a promise, at best, we hope it comes true. <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm able to do that. You maybe intend to do it, right? Man at best makes a promise and hopes it comes true. God makes a promise already knowing his decreed future. He knows that that promise he's making is as good as fulfilled. Hear this. Hear this this morning. When God made a promise, it was already as good as fulfilled. When we read in Scripture the promises of God, they are already as good as fulfilled. That's how sure they are. Therefore, we can trust him. And the author of Hebrews uses the example of God's promise to Abraham so that his readers will hope in God's promise. Let's take a look at it. He begins there even in verse 13. Now, let me give you some context, though, for verse 13. This is, a, is an allusion and a quote back to Genesis chapter 22. So as we look, we've got to ask, why is this promise to Abraham the basis for these people, these Christians, to have hope? Well, we've got to go back to, again, Genesis 22 and look at verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18, Genesis 22. It says this, And said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now God makes this promise to Abraham and his offspring, right? So God, this is God and God, we see God making his promise making his promise and then continually uh, reiterating or revisiting his promises to Abraham, to, uh, to the, uh, the Jewish forefathers. God's promise, though, is to be the basis of our hope. So this promise is made to Abraham and his offspring, but it's also to be the basis of their hope and of our hope. His ultimate promise of rescue for his people, that he would make a people for himself, that he would preserve and keep a people for himself. And ultimately, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And we're going to talk about Jesus more in a little bit. But this is why the basis of our hope, 
this is why we look at it and you could say that's that God's promise is the basis of our hope because that is completely fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to look at that ultimate fulfillment a little bit later in the message. But God makes this promise to Abraham. This is after, of course, he had told him to, so God had promised, yeah, you're going to have a son. And he and his wife were well along in years. They were past the child-rearing age, right? And God said, you're going to have a son. And then, boom, he had a son eventually. God, now, Abraham had to wait a while to see all this happen. And he has this son. And then God says, hey, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, you're, you're, you take him up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And so Abraham takes him up on the mountain, gets ready to sacrifice him. God stops him and provides a substitute sacrifice. So we have a foreshadowing of the gospel of a substitute sacrifice being put forward. And then God reiterates, he, he makes this promise he's, that surely he will bless Abraham, that he will multiply his offspring, that his offspring will possess the gate of his enemies, that and here's key, in Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that will find its fulfillment later in the scriptures as Jesus. But we see that what one pastor called a scarlet thread throughout the Bible. You know how I say the Bible is, is it's, it's one main story and Jesus is the hero. So the Old Testament points toward to Jesus. The New Testament uh, tells about Jesus and points back towards him and looks forward to his return. So God is the promise keeper. We see that. We see that, that, that the author of Hebrews is saying this promise that God made to Abraham is to be the basis. Like God will fulfill this. And he saw, Abraham saw that God would eventually fulfill that as he waited. But he didn't see that ultimate fulfillment, right? before he died, right? So that brings us to the second one. The se sorry, that brings us to the second point. I don't know why I just said the second one. Like the first time I've ever done this or something. Uh, that brings us to our second main point this morning, that God, number one, God makes promises, but number two, God is the guarantor of his promises. God is the one who guarantees his promise. God makes a promise and he guarantees it, and he does so by giving an oath, right? He puts his own name on it. Not only does God make a promise, but he gives an oath. And in ancient Israel, oaths were very different than what they are today. They were not contractual as we see them today. They were sealed not with a signature, but with the personal word of the person who was taking the oath. And God sealed his oath to Abraham with his own word and by his very own name. Because there was no one greater for him to take the oath by. So he sealed it with himself. There was no one greater for him to take an oath or swear by or anything like this. So he put his own name on it. Because he is the only one who could actually guarantee that it came to pass. See, one of you could make an oath like that. But you can't guarantee that that thing's going to come to pass. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Have you ever made a promise to your kids, parents? You ever made dads a promise to your kids and then not been able to keep it? When I first moved to Illinois with my family, Javen was not thrilled about leaving his friends in Iowa. That's an understatement. He was not thrilled. He was about to start high school and he had a soccer team that he loved and he was super bummed. 
but we moved. And when we got here, and when I, we announced that we were moving to Illinois, this is several years back when we, first, when we moved to Illinois, back in 2016, I promised him, I promised him, I said, hey, bro, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess I talked to him like that, I'm sorry that we moved, uh, but we needed to, you know, God had called us to a church over here, we believed, and we, man, we were following him, and I said, uh, I tell you what, I promise you, you're going to be able to graduate, you're going to be able to graduate from your new school. You're going to stay there all four years because we'd moved around a lot. I said, you'll, I promised him you'll be able to graduate from this new school. Well, things didn't work out at the church I was pastoring and we needed to move on and I had to break that promise. And it doesn't matter really what the circumstances were because it was still a broken promise. My promise depended on a lot of things that were outside of my control. It depended on choices made by other people as well as choices made by myself. And I was not able to keep that promise. I was not able to guarantee that promise. But here is where God's promises differ from our man-made promises. God's promises do not depend on our character or our ability. They don't depend on what someone else does. They depend on his faithfulness. I want you to hear that again, and I'll put a, we'll put a slide up that's got it on there. God's promises don't depend on your character, but solely on his faithfulness. When God makes a promise, it doesn't depend on you, it depends on him. We need to remember that. Abraham patiently waited. Abraham patiently waited. This is the opposite of the sluggishness. Here's where context is going to help us, okay? This is the opposite. Abraham patiently waiting is the opposite of sluggishness that's mentioned in just the previous verse, verse 12. It says, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then it goes into our passage for today, for when God made a promise to Abraham, and it goes on. Remember that these Hebrew Christians who were the first recipients of this book of Hebrews were in danger of giving up. Their endurance was running low. They were worn out. And the author wanted them to know that they would obtain and enjoy all that God had promised if they were diligent in applying themselves to their spiritual lives. In other words, don't give up. Wait for the Lord patiently. And that means, waiting for the Lord patiently means working on your life and your doctrine and, watch, and watching in faith, not complacency or out of laziness. He had told them to move on toward maturity and bank on the promises that God had made. See, too often we think that waiting on the Lord means we do nothing. No. No. Waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promise means waiting faithfully. It means doing the things that we know from Scripture God has called us to do as we wait for his promise to be fulfilled. Abraham is a great example because he did not do what they were being warned against. They were warned against becoming sluggish and complacent in their faith. Abraham waited patiently. And though he waited and waited and waited, 
And it was a long time before he would see fulfillment in it. The third main thing we need to understand from this, not only has God made promises, not only is God the guarantor of those promises, but God himself is the fulfiller of the promises that he has made. God himself is the fulfiller of the promises that he's made. Friends, God's promises are insured and fulfilled by him every time. Every time. There's never a promise that God makes that has not been fulfilled or will still find its fulfillment. Obviously, the promise of Jesus returning, right? Uh, It's not fulfilled yet, but it will be. Because when God makes a promise, it's just as sure as if it already happened. God's promises are insured and fulfilled by him. He is the one who fulfills his own promises. What does that mean? Well, that means, number one, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Look, I'm going to let you down. If I haven't let you down yet, you just haven't known me long enough or well enough. All right? I'm going to let you down. You're going to let each other down. Humans are going to let you down. God is never going to let you down. He can be trusted. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want from God. Because what you want from him isn't always what he wants for you. But he can always be trusted. God always keeps his promises. You can, let me tell you this, because God, you know that God can always be trusted, and that when God says something, it will come to pass. When he has said something in his word, we can bank that that will come to pass. You can stake your life on it. You can stake your eternity on it. Because we know that God always keeps his promises and can always be trusted. You know, in, uh, towards the end of our section, in uh, verse 19, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And then in verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our, on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you remember before, he, before the author went into this digression, he was talking about Jesus as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Here we see that language again, right? But he digressed from it. He said, you're not ready to go that deep because you still need milk instead of solid food. And so now what he's getting ready to do, and we'll see this next week, he's getting ready to go back into his line of thought on Jesus as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But he goes into this having this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, this hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is all connected to what he's been talking about in the last few verses. The anchor for our soul keeps us from drifting. What is an anchor? Well, an anchor is a hope that provides security and stability for the soul. Why do you, if you're on a boat, why do you put out an anchor? You put out an anchor because it will go down to the bottom and it'll grab onto something and it'll hold you fast. It'll give you that security. It'll give you that stability. He'd warned them about apostasy or falling away, but he clearly believes that they can have an assurance of their salvation. So what do we know about this? Well, 
if God is fulfiller of the promises he, he makes, that believers must go on to maturity. The guarantee that we have is that God has made it possible for us to do so. In verse 20, in verse 20, this author of Hebrews, this writer of Hebrews, uses another nautical term. Now, he's been using nautical terms throughout the book of Hebrews, but he used another nautical term. It's, it's the term forerunner. The word forerunner that's used here, it actually appears only here in the entirety of Scripture. But the idea of a forerunner would have been quite familiar in biblical times. People would have known what this was. And I actually didn't know this until, until reading it myself. I mean, I, I understood the idea of a forerunner, he who goes before, right? Uh, someone that comes before. Like, I got that. But I didn't understand it in its nautical terms that they would have understood it as. And Lewis Talbot writes this about it. The Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars over which the larger ships dared not pass until the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was a pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. And because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, he himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls and the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. You get this? So they, the ships would not be able to get in because of the sandbars, and so they would put the anchor on a smaller, smaller boat and send the smaller boat in with the anchor, and then they would drop the anchor, and when the tide came in, it would guarantee that the ship would end up safely in the harbor. Which, number one, is an incredible idea, right? It's a great idea. But when you saw that anchor going into the harbor on this forerunner vessel, it was a guarantee the anchor was a guarantee that that vessel was going to make it home. That that vessel was going to make it to its safe harbor. And we have a forerunner who went ahead and that guarantees the promise, fulfills the promise of God that we will also make it home. Our forerunner, our high priest, Jesus Christ, secured the way for us and, and is the means by which we are allowed to enter in because he lived a perfect life in our place that we couldn't live. Because he died on the cross, taking our sin upon himself in our place, he was condemned and died. And three days later rose to life, proving that God accepted the sacrifice as sufficient and guaranteeing our hope. And he calls us to repent and believe this good news. And when we believe the good news of the gospel, when we trust in him alone for salvation, he drops our anchor in the bay. And we have a guarantee that we make it home safe. That sure and steadfast anchor, our confession in Christ. We have a surety of making it. And you want to know something? The line of hope we have to our steadfast anchor, nothing can break it. Do you hear that? I hope that's encouraging for you. I know this message this morning, it's a little different, and I feel a little discombobbled today, I'll just tell you. But the line from us 
to our sure anchor, nothing can break. As I was thinking over this message, these verses from Romans chapter 8 came to mind. I just want to read them over you today. Just let this sink into your heart. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's promises are bankable. We can count on them. I have to repeat that a lot, because if you're like me, you're like, yep, I can, count, I can count on God. I, I, I believe God keeps his promises. And then I go out and I li- start living my life and something crazy happens. It looks like maybe God's not going to come through on his promise. And I freak out a little bit. And look, I'm not talking about subjective things that you think God has promised to you. I'm talking about things God has promised in his word to those who follow him. We can count on God's promises. We can stake our lives and our eternity on them. So the question that's before you in this very moment is this. And this is the question you've got to wrestle with right now. Right now. If God's promises are so sure, as sure as if they were already done, then why won't you do the things that he has commanded of his followers? You have to wrestle with that. I have to wrestle with that. Because we have God's promises, we know they are sure and can be counted on, and we want those things, but then also at the same time, we resist doing the things he commands of his followers. Why do we resist? Why do we doubt the promises that we have as a steadfast anchor of hope? You know, I said this message was hopefully an encouragement because I believe that pas- this passage is a deep, deeply encouraging passage to those of us in Christ. But also there's a challenge, I think, that we need to understand. And I'm going to talk about this and how we respond. As I do, I'm going to invite Colin and Megan to just kind of make their way back up. But we have promises from God. We have a promise that he who began a good work in us will bring it through to completion in Christ Jesus. We have a promise that the God who saved you will sanctify you, will make you more and more like Jesus as you participate in that, act, that, that process of sanctification, in the spiritual disciplines, in being a part of a local church, praying, studying the word, fellowshipping with other believers. He will grow you 
when you press in toward spiritual maturity. Last week we heard about how we're supposed to press in towards maturity to not seek to stay as infants, but to move on towards maturity and the things that we need to do to build the effect, our affections for Christ and to grow. We have this promise, and God will fulfill his promises as sure as if they are already done. He will be with you. If you're a Christian, he is with you. If you trust in Christ, he is with you. We have that as a promise, as an anchor, something that is a line to a sure and steadfast hope that we, we, it cannot be broken. So the question today for you is if God's promises are so sure, as sure as if they're already done, then why won't you do the things he's commanded of his followers? If his promises are so sure, why won't you surrender to him? Some of you may be, you may be sitting out there and you may have never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Somebody may be watching online, you're maybe hearing me for the first time and uh, you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. That he died in your place for your sin. And that, we, and that he rose from the grave three days later. And if you repent and believe the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, you can be saved and spend eternity with him and begin a process of growing to be more and more like Jesus that we, we call sanctification. It may be that you're someone who um, you've started to doubt the promises of God. And what you need this morning is to just uh, remember the anchor. To remember the anchor to to latch on more firmly to it. You may be here and you may say, Pastor, I, I, um, I've been thinking about what you've been saying the last few weeks. I want to grow on to maturity, but I need help. Please come talk to me. I want to help you grow. I want to help you grow in your spiritual walk. I want to help you grow in your following of Christ and your love of him, your affection for him. And the fourth person out there, you may be sitting there and you may say, Pastor, I, I love Jesus. I, I believe his promises. I'm submitting to him as best I can in my life. But you maybe have one thing, and, and that's that you're not doing all you can to tell other people about him. So that's my challenge for you this morning. Would you commit to doing everything you can to tell people about Jesus? Because we know we, know we have a sure hope and a sure anchor. And no matter the persecution, no matter the, 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 the pressure that comes upon us, nothing can break that. But we must press on, as he's warning these people uh, earlier, to press on, not to fall back, but to press forward. Would you commit to that this morning? If you'll stand up with me, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And, um, and then we're going to have an opportunity to respond through worship. And um, you may just need to worship God in thankfulness and sing this song uh, about our living hope that we have in Christ. You may need to bow your head and pray and repent of some sin. You may need to uh, do some kind of business with God during this time. But this is your time to respond to what God has said in his word. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to this time of, um, of response... 
I pray that you would break down any barriers, any walls around our heart, anything uh, that would be pride or lack of humility that would cause us to think we have it all together. Father, help us to surrender any areas to you where we have um, we've tried to take back over control. Father, help us to trust you and to take you at your word, to believe your promises. And for that to be worked out as faith and obedience in our lives. Show me where I have sinned and bring me quickly to repentance. Help us to take you individually and as a church. Help us to take you at your word in all things, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?